0: Community Church exists to shine as light in our homes, in our community, and in our world. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org.
1: If you've been here for the last several weeks, you know that we are in a series that we've entitled FAQ, Frequently Asked Questions About Christianity. And what we're doing between now and November the 10th is we're actually walking through some questions that that people have maybe have asked you, maybe questions you've had yourself about the veracity or the truthfulness of Christianity, or is it reasonable to believe the things that we say that we believe? We began with our first question last week as we talked about is there really a God? Later on, we're going to address things like is the Bible reliable? Is Christ the only way to salvation? And and all the way down into topics like, why did the innocent suffer? Uh, We're going to be looking at these over the next number of weeks. Now, I wanted to issue a little bit of a disclaimer, though, and that is that anytime you have a series like this, we only have a certain number of weeks, there's going to be questions that people have that maybe get left out. And you may have a question that you don't see on the screen behind you um, that you want to address. One question that I know that many of you have uh, that, that didn't make the list, I just want to apologize up front, is is why do we not want you to come to the FX service? Um, if you got one of these little green sheets inside your announcements today, I just want to point out that one of the things that says FX family service, and the last line of that says, you want to miss this. Um, <laughs> We don't want you to miss it. As a matter of fact, uh, it was great last week, and it's going to be great uh, coming up again on October the 6th, Um, but that has been the frequently asked question of the morning for me, and so I just wanted to pass that along to you guys as well. Um, Hey, we we do have a real question we're going to address today beyond that one that I just answered, um, and that is the question of miracles. Why would we believe in miracles? And we're going to take a look at that from... God's Word, and, and Mark's going to share a few things with us about that here in just a moment. But uh, as we kick this time off, let me pray for us. Father, we thank you um, that we gather to talk about these big questions, like why we would believe in miracles. And Father, that's important for us because your Word is full of miraculous events. And Father, we, we struggle at times to, to wrap our minds around how something like that could really happen. And so, Father, I pray that you would help us today as we ask this question, that you would help us to find some answers. Specifically, Father, I want to thank you that you have placed within history um, evidence of who you are and of your supernatural power by things like creation that we saw last week as well as things like miracles that you have worked that we're going to look at this week. Father, thank you that you are revealing yourself to us in the reality of your great power in different ways. And Father, I pray that we would walk away today with just a sense of how awesome you are as a result of our time together. We thank you and we pray that you would guide us now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are talking about the question why we would believe in miracles today. And, you know, when you think about the topic of believing in miracles, uh, most of us would say yes, and largely because we're very used to using the word miracle for a lot of things. Um, If you're a sports fan, especially, you are used to using the word miracle for for all different kinds of applications. I mean, just think about some of the different kinds of uses of this term in sports. If you were a baseball fan back in 1969, uh, there was a team known as the Miracle Mets who had never won any kind of title before and they came out of nowhere, They, they went on a winning streak, they win the pennant, they win the World Series. Um, if you go forward a little ways, in, in 1980, there was the miracle on ice. There was the U.S. hockey team that upset the heavily favored Soviet Union team in, up in Lake Placid at the Winter Olympics. Uh, if you go forward a little bit, maybe into the world of professional football, back in 2000 or 2001, I don't remember exactly, but there was the Music City miracle, where the Tennessee Titans had a uh, a really wild play. They ran on a kickoff at the end of the game to to beat the Buffalo Bills. Uh, when I was thinking about this, the poor Buffalo Bills. It always happened to them, didn't it? Uh, but there was the Music City miracle. Maybe you, your, your football history goes back a little further, though, and you remember back in the late 70s when Herman Edwards, before he was a football coach, was a player, scooped up the ball, and there was the mi- miracle in the Meadowlands instead of the Giants running out the clock, the Eagles were able to win the game. And then the one that maybe stings the most for those of us around here, uh, you might remember back in 1988, there was Danny and the Miracles. Uh, Danny Manning and the Kansas Jayhawks beat the Oklahoma Sooners, the heavily favored Oklahoma Sooners in the championship game up in Kansas City. And, uh, you know, all of these instances are things that the sporting community has called miracles. But Are they really miracles? Is this what we're talking about when we're talking about miracles? Well, I don't think that these things are really miracles because they're so often repeatable. I mean, upsets happen in sports. Uh, Comebacks happen in sports until the final gun sounds a team can always come back and and earn the win. And so all of these things, they might be big upsets, they might be crazy comebacks, but they're not really miracles. But you know what? There are things that are miraculous that have occurred in the world that we have to wrestle with. And and, and we might wonder, did these things have these things actually occurred? And you know what? Our Bible is is full of them. Think about the events back in Genesis where you had a flood that that covered the, the, the earth, in, in such a way that it would kill every person who was alive on the planet except one family. It's a miraculous event. Go forward a little further in history over into the book of Exodus, and you have Moses and the Israelites standing there at the edge of this sea, and the Egyptians, you know, pressing in on them from behind, and, and Moses, you know, speaks the word, and, and the, the sea parts, and the Israelites walk through on dry ground. That's, that's a miracle. Go forward a little further into history, and you had this rebel prophet by the name of Jonah that wanted nothing to do with what God wanted him to do. And so he gets on a boat going in the opposite direction, and the sea gets stormy, and the people on the boat throw Jonah overboard, and a fish swallows Jonah, and he lives in the belly of that fish for three days until he's vomited up onto the shore, and he becomes an evangelist, winning many to, to, to repentance that day that's a miracle. You go over into the life of Christ and you have a stormy sea and the disciples on a boat and Jesus goes walking out on top of the water. That was a miracle. All the way to the end of the Gospels when you have the crucifixion of Christ, but it didn't end there. It goes all the way to a resurrection. These are some miraculous events. And As we sit here today, these are events of great consequence. It's important for us to ask the question, do miracles like this occur? Because if they don't, we're basing our faith on a fairy tale. And many in this room have struggled with this reality. Could God do something like this? Did these events really happen in history? Maybe you've had a friend or a neighbor or a coworker ask you that very question. And we're set at a spot where we have to ask the question, why would we ever believe in miracles like this? Well, this morning, we're going to examine and look at um, why it's reasonable for us to believe that miracles like this occur. And really, we're going to look at, you know, is there any evidence that miracles actually occur in history. And you know what? As we take that step and begin asking that question and seeking an answer, we could go through a litany and look at all of these different miracles and see about their plausibility and historical evidence and those kinds of things. But you know, we don't have the time this morning to do that. And so we're going to focus in on one miracle and see what evidence there is from history that this miracle actually occurred. And that that miracle that we're going to focus in on is the resurrection of Christ. Now, we're focusing in on that one because that is really the miracle of most consequence to you and me. Jesus is who we follow. He is God in the flesh. If, if Jesus was not raised from the dead, then the New Testament is a lie. And we're basing our life on a fairy tale. We're believing in, in nothing substantial. Because the New Testament so clearly articulates that Jesus did raise from the dead. And so we're going to zoom in on this one miracle to see if there's any historical evidence that it actually occurred. Now, before we do that, I want to just quickly walk through some verses that demonstrate that the resurrection of Christ indeed was a miraculous event. And we're going to look at those from the book of Matthew, beginning in chapter 20, verses 17 to 19. Um, What we're going to see over a series of three sets of verses is the historical account recorded for us in the Gospels of the crucifixion and the resurrection of Christ. See, Matthew chapter 20, verse 17 says this. It says, as Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside, and on the way he said to them, see, we're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified and he will be raised on the third day. Now that is an evidence that something supernatural is happening because Jesus is calling his shot. This happened before Jesus even entered the city and the events that would unfold that would lead to his crucifixion and his resurrection. Jesus is saying exactly what was going to happen. He says that I'm going to Jerusalem. I will be arrested, scourged, flogged, and crucified. When you flip over to Matthew chapter 27, that's significant because what we see in Matthew 27 is that's exactly what happens. In Matthew 27, in verse 26, Jesus has gone before Pilate to be judged and sentenced. And it says, and Pilate released for the people... Barabbas, who was a criminal. And then, having scourged Jesus, he delivered Jesus over to be crucified. Jesus was given a death sentence. And professional people, soldiers, were going to carry out that death sentence on a cross. That's what crucifixion was. It was capital punishment in its most vicious form. And so, Jesus, having received this declaration from Pilate, is is walked out He's walked up a hill, he's nailed to a cross, and he dies. That's what the balance of chapter 27 is about. And then over into chapter 28, though, we find the rest of the story. Three days after Jesus' crucifixion and his death and his burial, some women go to the tomb, and this is what they find in chapter 28, verse 2. It says, And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know what you seek, Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. Come and see the place where he lay. And so what we have there is the biblical account of Jesus' death and his resurrection. But is it plausible or reasonable for us to believe that? Is there any evidence that this event actually occurred? I've invited Mark Burgett to come and to share with us a little more about some historical evidence for this very event, the resurrection of Christ. So, Mark? Well,
0: thanks, Mark. Why are are we talking about this? And, and really, why are we talking about this whole series, this series of questions, frequently asked questions? It really because uh, Mark and Bruce and the staff here at the church decided that let's, let's put the questions on the table and, and let's address them because people's faith is based on something. It's, it's based on answers to questions. Faith in anything in order to be reasonable or believable should be based on something. Uh, you, you need reasons why you believe something. If you're going to be able to explain it to somebody else, and you might have faith that the that the moon's made out of Swiss cheese, but that's not a reasonable belief because there's no there's no support for it. You know, faith in anything needs some sort of support, some sort of evidence. Uh, In fact, we are commanded to consider this. In 1 Peter 3.15, it says, In your hearts set apart Christ as Lord. Magnify Jesus in your heart. He should be important to you. But notice what it says. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that is in you. But do this with gentleness and respect. See, we're, we're supposed to be ready to be able to answer people when they say, why do you believe what you believe? Why are you a Christian? We should be able to tell them why and give reasons. We all use faith every day. We, we use it extensively. Uh, and, it's, and it's based on something. A lot of you are going to go out to eat today. Most of you will go out to eat sometime this week, right? And you're going to order something off the menu, and somebody's going to bring it to you and set it down in front of you. And you're going to eat it. And you're not going to be worried about it. Why? You have no idea where that food came from. You have no idea what was going on in the kitchen. You don't have any idea who fixed it, what their motives are, if they know you, if they care about you we we're going to go out and eat food and we've got faith great faith that nothing's going to happen to us we're putting faith in people we've never met that they're not trying to poison us why well because you've ate there you ate there before nothing happened to you you know all these other people have eaten there before no reports of anything like this happening and so you've put faith in this establishment and and the people who work there or, or driving down the street you're gonna pass somebody coming the other way you're not gonna get scared you're not gonna pull off the road you're putting a great deal of faith in this person you've never met you don't know who they are and yet you let them drive right by you without a second thought again because of your experience there are reasons why you, you believe these things Well, what about religious faith though? Some people say that in the area of religion, you take logic, evidence, facts, and you throw them out the window because religion is just blind faith. I asked earlier, why are you a Christian? A lot of people will say, I grew up that way. I'm here in the United States. My parents took me to church. It's what my parents told me. It's what a pastor told me. It's what a coach told me. You know... I just am. And some people say that religious faith is blind faith. No facts, no no evidence, no support whatsoever. In fact, here's a quote from a fellow by the name of Sam Harris. This is in a little book called Letter to a Christian Nation. And and he's an atheist, by the way, and he's very critical of religious faith. Notice what he says. The Bible is either the word of God or it isn't. That's a true statement, right? I mean, it either either is or it isn't. Either Christ was divine or he was not. That's a true statement, right? If the Bible is an ordinary book and Christ is an ordinary man, the basic doctrine of Christianity is false. That's true, isn't it? Yeah. Sure it is. If the Bible's an ordinary book and, and Christ is just a guy, then the basic doctrines of Christianity aren't true. So he's he's right about that. And then he says, When considering the truth of a proposition, when you're trying to figure out if somebody's telling you the truth about something, you're either engaged in an honest appraisal of the evidence and logical arguments for it, or you're not. Again, another true statement. If somebody tells you something and they say, I want you to believe this, you either look at it and, and you and you reason it and you look at the facts behind it, or you don't. You just, you just accept it. Now, notice what he says. Religion is the one area of our lives where people imagine that some other standard of intellectual integrity applies. In other words, people who are religious don't use facts, don't use evidence, don't use reason. And I couldn't disagree with that. More because I think that anything that you believe should be based on something, it should have some support for it. But sadly, you know, many Christians really don't take a look at, at the evidence, at the support. They just, they just say, Yeah, I, I grew up in the United States, or my, my parents took me to church, and they don't really know why they're, they're believers. Now, I say this, it's okay to just believe. It's okay to just say, I have faith. That's okay. But you'll never be able to explain why you believe to somebody else, and you won't be able to do what First Peter asks us to do, which is to be able to give a reason to somebody for why we believe what we believe. So what forms the foundational principles for Christianity? What is the evidence? What is the support? What is the truth? And that's what brings us really to today. It's this miracle, specifically the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. Is it it really that important? I was talking with Adam Gerkink earlier this week, and, and he said that he was in a church one time, and the minister asks, asked the congregation, he said, how many of you believe that the resurrection really happened? And he said, a few people raised their hand. Then the minister asked, how many of you believe that the resurrection did not happen? He said, several people raised their hands." And then he asked, how many of you believe that it doesn't really matter? That almost everybody raised their hand. Well, there's a problem with that because the resurrection is absolutely critical to Christianity. No resurrection, Christianity's false. We're going to take a look at this. Listen, even atheists understand this. H.L. Mencken was the editor of Life magazine in the middle of the 20th century an avowed atheist, an outspoken atheist. And he he wrote this in Life magazine. He said, either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. Kind of like Sam Harris's stuff. Look, either Jesus rose from the dead or he didn't. There's no middle ground there, right? He either did or he didn't. And what Mencken, the atheist, says is, if he did, then Christianity becomes plausible or believable. If he didn't... It's sheer nonsense. That is absolutely true. If Jesus did not rise from the dead, this is a monumental waste of time. This is a joke. This is not true. We should go do something else because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, Christianity is not true. Mencken actually is paraphrasing the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15. Look at what Paul wrote, if there's no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hasn't been raised and if Christ has not been raised, notice what he says, if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless and so is your faith. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is useless. More than that, we are found to be false witnesses about God, for we've testified that he raised Christ from the dead. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile. If Christ hasn't been raised, Paul says your faith is useless and futile. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we're to be pitied more than all men. Now, that that's Paul. That he's putting it front and center. This is the importance of the, the resurrection so so the 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 multi billion dollar question really is did Jesus rise from the dead did the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth actually occur now you younger people listen up because As as you go through life and as you go through school, you're going to have people question this. And all you need to know is this. Did the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth actually take place? What's the evidence? Did it it happen or not? Now, this is a historical question. It's not philosophical. It's not scientific. If you were here last week, you know, Mike was talking about the scientific evidence for the existence of God. We're talking about whether an event occurred in history. For that, you need historical facts and evidence to support it. If you want to try to prove anything that happened five minutes ago, you've got to use historical evidence. For example, I gave this talk in the first service. How do you know? Well, I could present some eyewitnesses. I could present video testimony, you know, but you don't, you, 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 you got to rely on something to support what happened in the past. So this is a historical question. It's kind of like, uh, did the Holocaust occur? I don't think any of us were there. But probably everybody in here has an opinion about whether it did or it didn't. Now, you know that it's been in the news that the president of Iran, for example, has said that the Holocaust did not occur. He doesn't buy the evidence that's been presented. Well, what's the evidence for the Holocaust? We've got eyewitness testimony. We've got eyewitness records. We've got videos. Maybe you've even been to Auschwitz or Birkenau. If you go to Israel, you go to Jerusalem, you can go to the Israeli Holocaust Museum at Yad Vashem. Overwhelming evidence that supports this the existence of this historical fact. So, what's the evidence here? Well, one thing we should admit up front is look, believing in the resurrection is is hard. It should be. It's a miracle, right? It doesn't happen very often. It's not explainable with the laws of nature. So the evidence needs to be compelling and and overwhelming. It's outside of our experience. But are you going to believe the evidence or are you going to believe the odds against it? Or maybe even your experience? Wise people follow the evidence wherever it leads. They look at the evidence and they make a judgment based on what the evidence is. That's what happens on a jury. Now, for example, let's say Mark and I play golf together, and we've played golf together every, every Saturday for the last 20 years. And in all those 20 years, Mark has never once landed the ball on the green on a par three. Fact. Fact. And, you know, he, he loves playing golf and I love playing golf with him, but, you know, he just, well, okay. So one Saturday, I miss our game. And about 3 o'clock, uh, my, my phone rings and I pick it up and Mark's all excited. He goes, You'll never guess what happened. I hit a hole in one on number 13. And I, what, what am I going to say? You're lying through your teeth. You know, I've played golf with you for 20 years. You can't even hit the right fairway. He said, no, no, really, it happened, and he said, listen, and so uh, some of the guys who were playing with him, they get on the phone, Says, say, the most incredible thing, he, he topped it off the, off the tee, and it rolled down the cart path, and it bounced off a trash can, and hit a tree, and rolled across <laughs> the green, and went in the hole, <laughs> and three of them tell me the same story, and then the next day, I open up the newspaper, and they're on the sports page, there's Pat, you know, Mark's holding a golf ball, you know, local pastor with 50 handicap hits hole in one, you know. <laughs> And then somebody on the next tee was standing there with their cell phone, and they, and they, and they taped the whole thing. Well, do I believe the evidence, or I do, do I believe the odds against it and my experience? Yeah. Wise people follow the evidence for, wherever it leads. And in the case of the resurrection, I am so very thankful that God has left us plenty of evidence and it doesn't have to be this way we could be like I, I will say every other religion on the face of the earth that has little if any factual evidentiary support for their beliefs thank God that he left us with all of this evidence for the central event of Christianity, which is the resurrection. And speaking of the evidence, look, look, look what uh, the Chief Justice of England said. Uh, on that greatest point, talking about the resurrection, we are not merely asked to have faith. I don't have to have just blind faith that this happened. In its favor, as living truth, there exists such overwhelming evidence, positive and negative factual and circumstantial, that no intelligent jury in the world could fail to bring in a verdict that the resurrection story is true. I, I could give you dozens, honestly, quotes from legal scholars that have said basically the same thing, that looking at it from a legal historical point of view, the evidence is compelling, even, again people on the other side of the equation. Here's a quote from a Jewish New Testament scholar. He says, according to my opinion the resurrection is a fact of history. Without the resurrection of Jesus after Golgotha there would not have been any Christianity. Now that's from a Jewish fellow. If you look at the evidence with an open mind, if you look at the facts you'll come to the conclusion that the resurrection actually occurred. So. What is the evidence? A fellow I know, Gary Habermas, he's a professor. He's he's written numerous books. He's debated all over the world. Uh, In his book, The Historical Jesus, he put this, in all, there are 45 ancient extra-biblical sources. That means outside the Bible, other than the Bible. So Jewish historians, Roman historians, other records besides the Bible, that validate the historicity of Jesus, his crucifixion, and his resurrection. Of those 45 sources, 18 specifically record the resurrection, while an additional 11 provide relevant facts surrounding this occurrence. That is a wealth of evidence when you're talking about ancient history. So, what are these facts? I'm going to give you eight. That there really are more than this, but I just want to zero in on these eight and, and point out that uh, of these facts, these facts are accepted as true by virtually every scholar that has addressed the issue. And now that's, that's liberal, critical scholars, all the way to the conservative scholars who would like for them to be true, and everybody in between. Sure, you're going to find people on the fringe who say, no, that's not true, but they don't have any reason to say it's not true because these facts are so well supported by numerous sources and because they're early in date that virtually everybody accepts them as facts. So let, let's take a look at these. There, there's, there's eight of them. One, Jesus died due to crucifixion. You got to have a dead person in order to have a resurrection, Right? But this is a critical fact because some people will say, well, Jesus didn't really die. He just fell asleep in the tomb and then he woke up and he got himself out. Well, that goes against this fact. It's a fact Jesus died. Number two, the disciples were bereaved and discouraged, losing hope. The disciples, even though Mark Mark read you the passage in Scripture where Jesus told them what was going to happen, they didn't buy it. When they saw Jesus dead, when they saw him wrapped up in grave clothes and covered in spices, and when they saw his body laid in the tomb, they said, he's dead. Movement is over. This is sad. And they were completely discouraged, and they said, it's done. That's a fact of history. Number three, Jesus' tomb was found empty a few days later. This is a glaring fact of history. How do you explain the empty tomb? Now, people have tried different ways to explain it. For example, somebody said, well, the disciples stole the body. But as we'll see in a minute, that doesn't fit the rest of the facts. And what you do is you look at all the facts and you say, what best explains all the facts? Not just one or two of them, but all of them. And the empty tomb of Jesus stands as a fact of history that really has to be explained. Number four, the disciples had real experiences that they believed were appearances of the risen Jesus. That's the one that flies in the face of disciples stole the body because they really believed that they saw the risen Jesus. There's no doubt about this, again, from history. These guys believed that they saw Jesus. Number five, they believed it so strongly that they were completely transformed, even to the point of being willing to die. Now, that's what separates this from every other person who's willing to die. Some some people will say, well, but people die for their beliefs all the time. Sure, suicide bombers, people flying their planes into the World Trade Center because they believe in what they're saying. The difference is these guys knew. You don't die for something that you know is a lie. You don't do that. Willingly die for something that you know is a lie. They believed this so strongly that they were willing to die for it. That's a fact. Number six, they started telling this story right away, and they started telling it in Jerusalem. Now, Why is that important? Well, if if you're making up a story, if you're making up a fairy tale or a legend, how does it start? What's the first line in fairy tales? Once upon a time or a long time ago in a galaxy far, far away, right? You don't start telling a story that's not true in the place where it happened right after it happened. I can't get away with telling you all that I quarterbacked the University of Oklahoma to the national championship in 1975. Why? Too many people around here know the truth. Now, if I wait three or four hundred years and tell that story in Tibet, then maybe I can get away with it. But telling people that the tomb of Jesus was empty and that they had seen him alive in Jerusalem a couple of weeks after it happened isn't going to work unless it's true. Number seven, James, who was Jesus' brother and didn't believe him, was a skeptic, was converted to belief in Jesus after he thought that he also saw an appearance of Jesus risen. And then number eight, a real problem for people that don't want to believe this is a few years later, Saul of Tarsus, Paul, became a follower of Christ based on a real experience that he believed was an appearance of the risen Jesus. See, Paul thought these people were lying. Paul was committed to wiping them out. An empty tomb would never convince Paul. See? And he said the reason he became a Christian was because he saw the risen Christ. These are all facts that everybody accepts. And what theory best explains all of them, only one, these guys are telling the truth, this really happened, the resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth is a fact. And so here, let me ask you this, let me me put this up here and, and ask you to consider this. If the resurrection of Jesus is true, if it's a historical fact that occurred in time and space, then... What fill in the blank. What what things become true if that's true? There's a God. This life is not all there is. There's life after this one. There's a heaven. Jesus of Nazareth is who he claimed to be. He's the savior of the world way to have a relationship with God is to put your faith and trust in Jesus of Nazareth. Look at all the things that become true if the resurrection is true. Folks, this is it. This is why the disciples, this is all they talked about. You read through the book of Acts, every time they open their mouth, they're talking about one thing, the resurrection. It was true then and is still true today. And the question is, you know, all right, now what am I going to do with it? So I'm going to hand it back to Father Robinson, and he's going to tell you. Okay.
1: Amen. Mark, thanks so much. It really is very important and very helpful for us to wrestle with this question. Did the resurrection of Christ actually occur. And, and if it did, there are so many things that would be true, as he said, to fill in that blank, one of which is that miraculous things can happen because the resurrection of Christ clearly is a miraculous event. It adds veracity to so many of the other things like it that happen in the New Testament and in the Old Testament. Um, our, our faith is based not just on hopes and wishes, but it's, it's based on things that have occurred within history. And we have the opportunity to trust God. Now, here's the, the 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 so what to this for us. It has to do with okay, if there is a God who works miracles, what does that mean? What does it mean that there's a God who works miracles in this world? What are some of the applications or conclusions that we could we could draw from that? I want to end today by by wrestling with that. I'm going to go ahead and invite the worship team to come on up because we're going to close in song here in just a moment, but um, when you think about the implications of a God who works miracles, it, it means that, that if God is to is doing this, you know, why is he doing it? Think about this illustration, maybe it will help zero it in a little bit for you. Um, you know we live in a in a city that has streets and and on those streets, there are laws and rules that, that we abide by as we go from place to place. Uh, if there is a green light, we go. If there's a red light, we stop, hopefully. You, you need more conviction with that. Uh, if there's a green light, we go. If there's a red light, we stop. But but here's the thing. Occasionally, those normal laws are interrupted when somebody in authority shows up and they turn on their lights and they go blowing through the intersection even if the light's red. Why do we allow that? Well, it's because somebody in authority has a purpose to get from here to there faster than the normal bounds of reason would indicate when a police or a fire truck or an ambulance turns on the lights. What we have in in history is that we have a world that God has created to operate within a set of natural parameters, but occasionally God turns on the lights and blows through the intersection because he's got purpose. There's something that he's trying to accomplish. But what is that purpose? What is the purpose that God is accomplishing through these miraculous things? Well, you know what I think at least one of the purposes of God in this is? I think at least one of the purposes of God in this is that He wants us to know about Him. He wants us to live in relationship with Him. Think about this. If you've got kids in your house or your kids are grown, when they were a baby and the baby was asleep, you did your best to make the baby not hear that you were there, didn't you? Because you didn't want the baby to wake up. It's possible that God could have created this world in such a way that we would never hear Him and we would never know that He's there. But what we have in miracles is God playing the music loudly and banging pots and pans to wake us up to the reality of his presence. And why would he do that? Because the God of the universe wants to be in relationship with you. And what do we take away from the resurrection? We take away many things, but one of the things we've got to take away is the fact that this God who is banging the pots and pans that wants to wake us up, that wants a relationship with us, wants that relationship to be more than just a cup of coffee. He wants that relationship to be more than just an appointment on a calendar. He wants it to be something that will last into eternity because the resurrection takes us beyond the grave. If Christ is raised from the dead, then what does that mean? Well, it means many things, but one of the things it means is that the God of the universe wants a relationship with you. So he sent his son to bleed and die on the cross to take the payment that your sins and mine deserve so that by placing our faith in him, we might have a relationship with God that transcends the grave. I want you to ponder that and think about that for a moment as we stand and sing together about the fact that Christ is risen from the grave.